Hello, this is episode 300 and I have a lot to celebrate. So in this episode, I'm going to be catching you up on what's been going on at UAHQ because 300 episodes is a really big deal. Now, we're taking a small break in our series on the National Construction Code updates so that I can celebrate reaching this milestone of 300 episodes with you. And I also want to bring you up to speed on some of the latest news in Undercover Architect and for me personally as well. Now, I can't promise that it's going to be a logical flow of conversation or much about building or renovating. There's a bunch of things that I want to chat with you about. So let's just see how it goes. Remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 300. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee, the architect behind Undercover Architect. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've been working in the architectural industry since 1993. I founded Undercover Architect in mid-2014 and since then it has operated online to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building or renovating your home. Undercover Architect supports hundreds of thousands of homeowners across the world through their project journeys via this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship online program, Home Method. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally. Whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, it's here to support and guide you on this ambitious journey of yours. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now let's get into the episode. Now, at the time of recording this episode, it's late November 2023, and this is the time of year that I start reviewing how the year's been and what we're going to be doing next year. And it's not always been that way, though, to actually start in November. I'll explain more about that in a minute. Planning in a business, I find, is always super interesting. I've got friends in online businesses who do it lots of different ways. Some will lock themselves away in a room for a few days, or they'll even take themselves off to a holiday location on their own, and they'll do big business planning sessions. They make a whole structured activity out of it that they repeat each year. Some actually have specific workshops or exercises they do or specific methods that they use on a regular basis. Now, in the nine plus years that I've been running Undercover Architect, I've never really planned like that. I find instead that I do it in snatches, you know, between everything else in life and business, developing ideas more organically and seeding thoughts about things, gathering data, reviewing ideas, and then using that to then think about how things could be implemented. I do it much more gradually. And I also like working with a big calendar of the next year. So I map out how things will roll out as well, shaped particularly around the kids' school holidays, anything else that we might be factoring in as a family. That all goes in first. And then I start planning all of the business stuff around that. Now, the process that I use, it's definitely a slower one. I find it requires more calendar months to accomplish um, because it does happen in amongst everything else. And as I said, I've not always previously started in November. In years past, it wasn't until I was through Christmas and New Year, uh, often finding that I needed to get through all of that stuff first to then just have the access to brain space and bandwidth to be able to dedicate attention to any planning. 
However, things changed for me a couple of years ago. Uh, In 2021, it was after a super hectic lead up to Christmas. Things were just really, really messy. And I I didn't want to repeat that again. And so I decided to schedule an email to myself to arrive on my next birthday, which was the 26th of October in 2022. And I wrote this message to my future self with a list of what had and hadn't gone well in the lead up to Christmas and a warning to get planning earlier. We have a general rule in my house that we don't discuss Christmas until after I've had my birthday. So it does sort of that 26th of October does act as a demarcation zone between pre-Christmas planning and post and re- getting ready for Christmas planning. So, so yeah, having that arrive. And, and I, I promptly forgot about the email until it did arrive on my birthday. Um, and, and it was really great because it came, it told me all of the things that I had not done well and that I wanted to do a better job of. And so I was able to heed some of it and be much better prepared um, Uh, for that Christmas last year and so I did it again this year Um, so I wrote myself another email at the beginning of 2023 and that email arrived a few weeks ago on my birthday now this time I'd remembered that the email was on its way and the simple act of actually having that thought in the back of my head uh, as I approached this time of year had me behaving slightly differently to previous years anyway so I find that that email to your future self it's a great device I'm thinking that I should do it actually more often as a quarterly check-in because you can schedule to send email in most email settings and you know I find that we say we want to do all of these things but we can let time slip past and get distracted with things that just aren't in alignment with the things that we say are our priorities and that email or having other ways that you might check in with your future self are a great way to remind yourself to get back on track to the things that you said you wanted to do. Now my most recent birthday on which this email arrived was a few weeks ago and it was my 50th birthday and so not only did the email arrive with that check-in But turning 50 was naturally an opportunity for me to reflect and review at the transition of another decade in my life. Now, decades, they've always represented big shifts in my life. Big stuff has always happened on the turning of a decade, which I won't go into here. But, you know, I think too, I've not always enjoyed moving into the next decade either. I really, really didn't like turning 30. And I remember I wasn't too excited about turning 40 either. But in the last 10 years, I've definitely come to realise what a privilege it is to get older. Not everyone gets that chance and so I've embraced 50 with a much more grateful heart which has been really beneficial and I've found that turning 50 has come with loads of reflection and processing and stuff that it's still unfolding for me it's been a bit full-on actually but before I dive into sharing some of that with you I want to talk firstly about a recent talk that I co-presented at the Australian Institute of Architects conference in Canberra I thought I'd actually share the presentation with you here and especially if you're not familiar with my background or how Undercover Architect came to be, it's going to help you learn more. Now the theme of the AIA conference this year was unprecedented with the call to reflect on what has come before, focus on how we face the future and shape what is yet to come. And this was the first major conference that the Institute of Architects had held since pre-COVID in 2019. Earlier this year when they were calling for abstracts for the sessions, Sarah Lebner from Cooey Architecture emailed me to see if I was going and if I was keen to be involved in a session that she had an idea for and co-presenting with Beck Caldwell from Maytree Studio and Rachel Bernston from Sounds Like Design, Sarah saw an opportunity for us to get together to talk about why we practice the way that we do. And I said yes before I had a chance to think about it too much and talk myself out of it. Sarah said she had the same approach to writing the abstract in the first place and proposing this to us. And ultimately, I really love the idea of being able to hang out with Sarah in person because she and I, previous to this, we'd only known each other virtually, but for quite 
a few years and the same with Rachel as well who writes and provides copywriting and marketing services and coaching to the architectural community and I'd never actually had the opportunity to meet Beck Caldwell but I've loved the innovative way that she practices architecture in her business Maytree Studio and one of my program members had actually used her as their architect as well so I was really keen to meet and hang out with her so I really love the excuse of just having an opportunity to do that now the structure was a short presentation from each of us to explain our story and the way of practicing and then a panel discussion. So let me share first how Sarah introduced us. This is what she said. She said, let's set the scene. Number one, people working in architecture have a significantly lower quality of life compared with Australian norms with surprisingly low personal well-being scores, elevated levels of psychological distress and higher than average levels of burnout. Number two, architects are trained and primed to solve the world's problems, yet with a housing crisis on our doorstep, we are only involved in five to 10% of single residential projects. And number three, we have a climate emergency on our hands and we know that the built environment accounts for 39% of all carbon emissions globally with operational emissions accounting for 28%. This is the context that we are operating and responding to. We're not going to dwell on these statistics as we know you have some knowledge or lived experience of them. Today, I want you to meet three very unique people whose combined insight and experience will hopefully offer an optimistic and refreshing view on those disheartening challenges that we face. And so that's the introduction she gave. And then each of us got up to spend a few minutes sharing our story. And so I thought I'd take you through what I presented. I hope you don't mind me sharing it with you, but I thought it would give you some insights into Undercover Architect and into my background as well. So this is what I said to this crowd of architects. What made you choose architecture? For me, I chose architecture at the age of 16. I had always loved art, but I was expected to get a university degree and architecture was a great balance of pragmatics and creativity. I was also a super clucky teenager and whilst I didn't want to have kids for a long time, I had dreams of architecture providing the opportunity to work from home with my kids around me and it being a flexible and family-friendly career. Naive of me, yes, but I had been raised on the Brady Bunch and Mike Brady seemed to make it work, so why couldn't I? I had a great start to my career getting my first job with Tonkins Alika Greer at the age of 20. Incredible projects like Customs House Circular Key, the Sydney Olympic site and a myriad of others working with amazing architects who cared for and mentored me. However, architecture seemed to eat up my life. I worked really long hours, I dedicated everything to it and that was fine whilst I was only in my 20s but that idea of having babies and a satisfying career, I couldn't see how it was going to work. I was also shocked at the, sh the chauvinism and the misogyny that I experienced. So I tried to leave architecture several times. I had stints and side hustles in other industries. I did postgraduate studies in property economics to move into development, but I kept coming back to architecture again and again with a renewed love and vision and some extra skills under my belt. I had my first bub in 2007 as a senior associate at Mervac Design and after he was born it was a super supportive male boss who actually championed my flexible return to work at Mervac plus my willingness to do a non-architectural role in the business that meant that I could stay in the industry. And then in August 2009 when my second child was four months old, five colleagues and I started our own practice DC8 Studio and then my third child was born about 18 months later. Now I didn't get much sleep but here I was being a business owner, a mum and an architect. However, it didn't feel like the realisation of a dream. I felt like I was doing a lot and I wasn't doing anything well. In November 2013, I travelled to Uganda on a leadership and immersion program with not-for-profit The Hunger Project and Business Chicks. 
Now, needless to say, this experience gave my life a big shake up as I met people who had only ever experienced generations of hunger and poverty and I saw them overcoming huge adversity to change their lives, I realised that with all my privilege and opportunity, how many excuses I had been using to not change mine. I came home and I told my business partners that I needed to leave DC8 Studio. My husband and I decided to leave Brisbane and realise a decade-old dream to move our family to acreage in the Byron Hinterland. We moved in the middle of 2014 and our kids were six, four and two at the time. And I knew I had to make an income, but I had this list of frustrations about the architectural industry. The practice of architecture is a traditionally in-person, on-site and on the client's timeline. And that didn't suit the lifestyle that I wanted to create in a regional location with small kids. I also felt I was always getting to everyone too late. I was hearing about the horrible project experiences that could have been avoided had different information been known up front. And I'd sat across the table from so many developers and builders who'd said to me, the client doesn't know any different, so we're not going to deliver any better. I was raised by a single mum and I'd watched her renovate our home and the homes that she's owned since and be treated terribly by tradespeople or consistently asked where her husband was. And I'd had tradies and builders turn up to our homes as we renovated three of our own houses over 12 years. They'd not known that I was an architect. I'd often greet them at the door with a baby on my hip. They'd feed me total BS about the work that we were doing or they'd ask me where my husband was so that they could speak to him. So I looked at what I'd seen working in the hunger project end hunger and poverty empowerment through education creating change and then i looked at how i could apply it to my field of architecture and so i decided i needed to teach homeowners to demand more from the industry from those that they're working with so they could find the great professionals i know exist in this industry i needed to get in front of them earlier before they began their projects I believe that the homeowner is key to unlocking what is possible for their future home because it's their money, their choices, their vision that initiates and propels the project. And an informed and educated client is the best way to improve this industry and our built environment. And so Undercover Architect was born. Undercover Architect began in September 2014 as a weekly blog. And as I wrote more content, people started seeking me out and very quickly I had a long wait list and a full roster of design work, which I delivered online in a productized service over Skype and email, never meeting the client or seeing the home or site in person. In late 2014, I created my first online course and in December 2016, I started the podcast and we now have millions of downloads on the podcast. The website is visited by tens of thousands of people every month and thousands of homeowners have been through Undercover Architects online courses and programs. Undercover Architect is positioned as a homeowner's secret ally to help and teach them how to get it right when designing, building or renovating their homes, whoever they're working with and whatever their dreams, their location or their budget. In late 2018, I decided to stop offering one-to-one -one design services and only focus on my online courses and programs, again, to help scale my time and provide me with autonomy in my work whilst maintaining impact and service. Then three years ago, I also co-founded an online education business for custom residential builders with builder Dwayne Pierce called Live Life Build. A dream that I've had for a very long time is unfolding. We're building an army of builders who do an amazing job collaborating with architects, designers and clients and are learning how to improve their projects, businesses and lives. Along the way, I've been accused of not being a real architect, of teaching homeowners they can design their own home, of generally undermining the architectural industry. On the flip side, I've had so many homeowners tell me that the only reason they're working with an architect is because of what they've learned from me. And I've had industry professionals thank me for educating their clients because it improves the process of working with them.
My focus is on who I really serve, that amazing and clever woman who is about to make one of the biggest investments of her and her family's life, yet feels like she's walking around with a target on her forehead waiting to be taken advantage of by those in our industry. It simply seems unreasonable to me. She deserves to enjoy the experience and create a great home that works and feels great. I've learned you can't please everyone and neither should you. Ultimately, this has always been about me being able to live a really big, impactful life of contribution and be the wife and mum I want to be. That 16-year-old Amelia who chose architecture never could have expected it to look like this, but she really wanted to improve the way that people live through her own creativity and practice. And I love that I've been able to find ways to keep doing that. So I actually got super nervous delivering that presentation I just got super nervous delivering it to you so and hilariously two of my bosses from when I was in my 20s were in the audience plus a bunch of other people that I used to work with a very long time ago and I found I felt like that younger version of me standing in front of them all but I had some great conversations after this presentation especially with other female architects who shared with me that they'd also started their own businesses because they couldn't see how they could be the architect and the parent that they wanted to be And the interesting thing was that this conference happened in the week after my 50th birthday. So it was a really great opportunity for me to keep processing some of the stuff that's been coming up for me lately. So let me share a bit more about that because it's part of where Undercover Architect and and me personally is going next. So something that's always been present for me in my work is that I'm a woman working in a male-dominated industry and it's an industry that can be dinosaur-like at times in its chauvinism and its archaic patriarchal approach. And like most women my age in the industry, I can cite loads of examples that I won't dwell on here that have been my lived experience of this. Now, equally, it's been due to some incredible men in the industry who have supported me, who've mentored me and have created opportunities for me to shape the career that I have now. And frankly, one of the most amazing men I have standing by my side in the shape of my husband, Brandon, who has supported me through so much of it since we met way back in 1999. Now, of course, the chauvinism and the misogyny still exists. Of course it does. You know, I experience it firsthand. I hear about it in my uh, online undercover architect community and I hear about it from female colleagues that I connect with as well. Recently, I even had a man who's very close to me uh, in a working sense. He said to me that women just need to give it a go, uh, which to me implies that he believes that the reason women are so vastly underestimated in this industry is just because they're not they're just not giving it a go. Now, this stuff ordinarily gets me really riled up. Generally, I will have a very strong reaction that expresses some frustration and anger with the antiquated views or, you know, sure, sexism is, exists, but you can just ignore it approach that so many whom sexism actually doesn't impact, they seem to espouse and go on with. And I remember being criticised by a previous colleague about my stance on something. They told me I was being too feminist and I ended up saying to him, well, if I don't fight for your daughter's rights, who will? Because you clearly aren't and he did pause at that point and acknowledge that there was some truth in it and I've been angered so often over the years by meeting this kind of stuff in the industry over and over and in large you know as I mentioned in my presentation at the conference that I just shared with you one of the reasons that Undercover Architect exists is because I got so fed up with seeing how women were being treated by male builders and tradies when they were making their projects happen 
But in the processing and the reflection that I've been doing over the past few months as I've been preparing to give this presentation, because you can imagine I wrote and rewrote that presentation over and over and over. And then, you know, I've been, so that sort of started unraveling a few things for me. And then as I moved through navigating my 50th birthday and then in the days like of presenting this and going to the conference and, and then, you know, also the processing that's been happening since then, I've come to realise a few things. And so personally, it's been clear to me I've still been carrying this sense of limitation of holding myself back due to these experiences that I've had. I mean, let's not pretend that the industry or the world is a place of equity, you know, not for a second, is it? Um, But I'm a big believer that where your focus goes, your energy flows. So if I'm always focusing on the places and ways in which I'm limited, in which chauvinism and misogyny impacts my ability to do my work in the world and have the impact that I want, then that's naturally going to be all that I see. And it's going to be where my energy flows as well into responding and, you know, navigating that. And I also believe that you only operate from two places. You only ever You only ever operate from two places. It's either love or fear. Everything comes from those two places. And so if I'm getting angry about something, then that's just fear dressed up in a different outfit. My reaction at statements like, you know, women just need to give it a go when there's clearly so many obstacles in their way and they have been for decades, my reaction to that is usually an angry one. And I find that that anger is really helpful. I find people just get defensive or they feel shamed for having been made wrong. And shame is really a good motivator for change. I also know that the highest order of feeling that I want to achieve in my daily life is peace. You know, this is something I worked out a while ago. It's the state that I always want to occupy, even when everything is going to hell in a handbasket or there's massive hiccups and hurdles that get thrown my way. Peace is what I want to embody as I move about in the world. And embodying peace, it gives me the best resilience. It helps me show up in a better way. It helps me make the impact and contribution that I want to make. And you can have peace and passion together. I'm a big believer in that. So Now, me getting riled up, jumping to defend or respond in some way to the countless times that this does happen, not only to me, but to loads of other women in the industry, peace is not going to then be what I embody on a daily basis if that's kind of how I'm navigating things. Now, please don't misinterpret me. I'm not laying down. I'm not resigning myself to this way of being in the world. Not at all. That is not what I am saying. What's playing out for me right now is that I think I'm going to experiment with going about it differently with thinking about it differently. I want to find a different way to respond in these situations. I actually want to have more personal presence to not be triggered by these situations, but instead approach it with curiosity and optimize the opportunity that is there to have a different conversation about it rather than me just angrily jamming my views down someone else's throat. And part of this realization started to unfold for me when my family and I went away for five days up to Magnetic Island to celebrate my 50th birthday. We got the opportunity to have a lovely holiday up there. But I found it really difficult to mentally leave my work behind when I first arrived. Some things had happened in the lead up to me leaving for this holiday and these things went from niggling at me to totally eating at me. And by the time we were about two days into this holiday – I actually just sat down and had this big vent to my husband who very kindly listened and discussed everything with me. And then he said this to me. He said, right, you've got three days left of this holiday so you can make a choice about how you want to spend it. And, you know, at this point it was still a couple of days before my 50th birthday. So I made a commitment that I was going to shake things off so that I could have a better time and stop taking this out on my family around me. And then on the night before my birthday, I sat down that evening and I journaled for a while. And I wrote down a list of the things, the feelings, the thoughts 
that I just wasn't going to take into my next decade on the planet. And I wrote down a list of pledges to myself as well. So at the risk of being super vulnerable, I thought I'd share some of these things here. This, this is some of what I wrote on that evening before my 50th birthday. On the eve of my 50th birthday, I farewell overthinking things. I farewell tying myself in knots over the behaviour of someone else and what I am making it mean. I farewell the glass ceiling for women, the glass ceiling for me. I farewell playing small. I farewell worrying that I'll piss people off, that I'll lose my audience or I'll make people uncomfortable. I own who I am. I have an incredible and loyal community globally who want to see me succeed and be prosperous. I have amazing and aligned partners, sponsors and ambassadors passionate about what we do at Undercover Architect who beat down a path to us to help us share it with the world. I am peaceful. I am joyful. I am loving. I am loved. We are thriving as a family. My husband and kids are thriving. We have all the time in the world to do the things that we love doing together. An undercover architect is thriving as a community and a business. We are known globally for the work that we do to help and teach homeowners and change the way that homes are designed, built and renovated. Now, that's just a little of what I scrawled on those pages on the eve of my 50th birthday. Have you ever written out things like this? It may sound a bit woo-woo. It, feels, it, it actually feels pretty nerve-wracking to read it out to you. I do journal a fair bit. But doing this act of farewells and pledges, I actually found it really effective that evening for giving my mindset a reset. And the act of writing it all out, it just put me in a much better frame of mind. I woke up on my birthday feeling much better, more empowered and more peaceful as well and much clearer about how I, you know, how I wanted to be as I moved into this next decade, you know. And it was, it was a much better way to be on holidays uh, celebrating my 50th than where I'd been at 48 hours earlier, you know. There's something else that I haven't shared with you as well. So, you know, whilst, whilst I've been navigating all of this, Back way back on the 1st of January this year, 2023, I actually took on an investor in Undercover Architect. So uh, he's a Canadian. He now lives in the US. And prior to him becoming an investor in the business, I have been working with him as my mentor since September 2020. So, and that work that I've done with him over those years, it's been responsible for a fair amount of change that we've made to Undercover Architect in the past couple of years. And it's been a significant part of the personal change that I've been making to myself and the work I've been doing on myself over the last couple of years as well. And part of my continuing work with him now is actually about taking Undercover Architect and what we do in uh, taking it overseas into other countries. Now, being an online business, of course, Undercover Architect is already accessed by homeowners over the world. You know, this podcast alone is listened to in over 190 countries and it actually ranks really well in many other locations other than Australia. Our online courses have been and they continue to be purchased by homeowners globally in all sorts of locations. I love I love seeing when overseas people land in, you know, our online courses and programs. And we have Home Method members who are from the US, who are from Canada, who are in the UK, who are in Europe and New Zealand. They're inside Home Method. They're using the step-by-step -step system I teach inside Home Method to make their projects a reality and applying it locally to their own scenarios. And even with all of that and knowing the things that I teach can be applied anywhere especially I find when a homeowner is empowered to have better conversations and they understand what to achieve in an ideal project setup and a fantastic site-specific home I still get super nervous about formally going global about kind of putting that flag in the sand you know 
what are, well, what am I actually nervous about? Okay, well, mainly I'm nervous about failing, of course, you know, about frustrating an Aussie homeowner community and not doing a decent job of serving a global one, of blowing this business up, you know, and I love this business. I've poured so much into it. I'm really, really nervous uh, about failing and about disappointing you, you know, all of the usual stuff that you'd expect to feel nervous about when making big changes like this. And, you know, the thing though is that the more I talk to other architects, designers and builders in other locations, the more I realise that the information that I teach here and I share here, it resonates and it helps regardless of location. And the steps inside Home Method, they help guide projects also regardless of location because all of it actually empowers the homeowner to take that teaching, that information, that knowledge and then have the ability to apply it to their own personal location, climate, building rules and regulations and ultimately the outcome that they want to achieve. Yes, we do all build differently everywhere. We've got different materials, slightly different construction methodology. It's not wildly different, but it is different nonetheless. And we also use different terminology for things as well. But globally, we generally follow the same steps. We're commonly seeking to achieve similar goals and results. And I've found that as I've upskilled myself through helping the global members that we currently have in the Undercover Architect community, and I continue my learning and, and education in the ways that we design, build and renovate elsewhere around the world, it is amazing to see how many similarities there are across all of the different locations. And, you know, remember, I pledged to stop playing small. I farewelled playing small. And if I am serious about changing the way that we design, build and renovate so that everyone is able to create a fantastic, feel-good and functional home and enjoy the process, that was and, all, and always is the big mission for Undercover Architect. It continues to be Undercover Architect's mission then I actually need to reach and help more homeowners beyond Australia. Now, of course, I'm not doing this alone. We have been building our team here at UAHQ and uh, doing just bringing on some incredible people this year. And I'm also connecting to amazing people that I can collaborate with all around the world in order to bring this to fruition. So a call out to you if you're an architect, you're a design professional or you're a builder and you listen to this podcast from another part of the world besides Australia and you're interested in how you could get involved in Undercover Architect being a global business, then please reach out to me at hello at undercoverarchitect.com. I I ultimately believe that you, you as the homeowner, you are best served by Undercover Architect being bigger than just me. I am not the undercover architect. I'm the architect behind Undercover Architect. And I think as time goes on, I'll just be one of the many behind Undercover Architect. And so I am super excited about what's ahead. And as I say to my kids, when they tell me that they're nervous about something, I say to them, it's just because it matters to you. It's meaningful excitement. And that's how I'm going to embrace these nerves that I have at the moment as well. Now, the last thing that I want to share with you in this rambling podcast of tangents and all sorts of conversations um, it's something that's been seriously inspiring me uh, and motivating me lately. It's a it's a video that I'm going to pop in the resources with you so that you can watch it too. And I want to explain it to you because it's, it's going to sound a little bit strange, but I encourage you to just stick with me here. So the Sydney Opera House, it celebrated its 50th anniversary eight days before my 50th birthday. I was actually born in Sydney. I lived there until my late 20s. I remember my mum always telling me that my birthday and the Opera House's birthdays were close together. And at the time that I was born, she was actually worried about getting to the hospital because of the traffic on the roads due to everybody going to check out the Opera House. 
I remember having a lecturer at uni who uh, talked about the fact that they he had entered the competition for the Sydney Opera House um, way back in the 60s with some of his friends and he told us about how he and his friends had worked for ages. They'd done loads of hours to kind of enter this competition um, and and as they were working they could see a solution that was going to be perfect for the site but they just couldn't crack it. They couldn't get it to work and so they ended up developing an alternative scheme and that's what they submitted to the competition. They still ended up being shortlisted but of course Jörn Utzen won and so they got invited to this exhibition that was held of the shortlisted entries. Now my lecturer said that when he walked into the exhibition at the time and he saw Utzen's scheme hanging on the wall he couldn't believe it because Utzen's scheme was actually the solution that he and his group had been trying to work towards but couldn't crack and he was using this as a way of explaining to us that he he believed that it was the perfect solution for the site it was the only solution for the site. Now of course if you're aware of any of the controversy that plagued that building and that plagued Utsun as it was built, you'd know that it was notorious and challenging. A rising budget, a changing government that happened during its construction, Utsun being pushed further and further out of the project. There were protests, petitions and public marches that were led by some significant architects at the time that objected to the way that Utsun was being treated. And Utsun and his family finally left the country uh, being owed over $50,000 in unpaid fees several years before the project was finished. And uh, a New South Wales Minister for Planning at the time then brought in a committee of architects. He'd pretty much forced Utsun out. He then brought in a committee of architects and professionals to finish up the job as a collective. And Ove Arup, who was the founder of Global Engineering Practice um, Arabs, uh, so he actually stayed on. He had been the structural engineer on the project and he stayed on to continue the project, which Utsun and many others saw as a betrayal of Utsun and the original intent of the project. And Utsun never got to see the project finished. Today, of course, it's one of the most known and significant pieces of architecture globally. And whatever you think of it, you can't deny that it is synonymous with Sydney and Australia to an extent. And I'm someone personally who spent a lot of time around and in the building. It's a building that I love. Um, it's still one that takes my breath away. We actually had our speech days in the main concert hall when I was at school. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time there for that. I performed in orchestras on the main stage quite a bit growing up. I remember hanging out in the green room of the Opera House as a teenager, rubbing shoulders with actors like Marcus Graham from E Street that I had a big crush on at the time. Um, and, you know, I travelled across the bridge uh, to and from home to university uh, during my degree. So I got to see it every day that way as well. But, you know... Uh, I digress. Let me get back on track. Anyway, the Sydney Opera House commissioned Tim Minchin to write a song to celebrate this special 50th anniversary. Now, as I said, I'll, I'll pop a link in the resources for you. I really encourage you to watch the video that they put together of this song. It features various artists, dancers, orchestra members. It's an incredibly creative piece. And Tim wrote the song as an ironic piece and uh, as, he's, as he's want to do with his comedy. And in an interview about the making of it, Tim actually said this. He said, we wanted to say something about about how this building is a monument to bravery, to artistic ambition, to pushing through the voices that said this is a folly or this art doesn't matter. And I thought about how we all have that conservative voice in our head, that the building acts as a metaphor for what you can do within yourself if you just take a risk and stick your neck out. And so I thought I'm going to write the conservative voice. I'm going to be the voice in your head that says you shouldn't take risks and you shouldn't be ambitious because failure is too risky and you'll get hurt basically. So just play it safe. And Tim's song is called Play It Safe. And there's lines in it like this. You don't want to stick your neck out. They'll take your head off if you do. Just sit up the back and judge others. It'll keep them from judging you. 
There's another line that says, just make sure you don't stand out in the crowd. That way they can't cut you down. And there's this brilliant section at the end which goes, toe the line, don your suit, hide your truth, wipe your tears. Don't don't cause trouble. Find your bubble. Stick to black and white ideas. Play it safe. Know your place. Know your lines. Know your limits. Find a doctrine. Get it locked in. Build a box and stay in it. I'll stop there before I recite the whole song because it really is better watched and listened to instead of my clumsy quoting on this podcast. I really encourage you, please watch it. It is an incredible song that really does capture that voice that we all have in us that tells us to play small, to play it safe. And the song is shared against a backdrop that celebrates how the building and all those that it's housed over the years definitely don't do that and didn't do that. And as a result, have brought us so much and contributed so much. I get emotional each time I watch it. I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. I know I can be a sappy person. Ever since the kids were born, I find I get teary at the merest of emotional things. And it's possible that it may not impact you the same way. But I know though that there's something about this video, this song and this time in my life and the things that I'm processing right now that make the message that it shares super significant for me. And it's actually become a bit of an anthem for the energy, the mindset that I want to take into this next phase of Undercover Architect and of my life. So no playing it safe, no playing it small. I know Undercover Architect has loads more to do, to be and to give in how it supports and helps homeowners everywhere. And I am so, so, so grateful that you're here, that you're listening to this episode. I really want to thank you for celebrating 300 podcast episodes with me. I also want you to celebrate your commitment to being here, your commitment to yourself, getting yourself educated and informed for your project and tuning in each week to learn the know-how that you need. Thank you so much for indulging me whilst I use this episode with some ramblings to share some more personal information with you. Now, a few reminders for you before I finish up. I have done a transcript of this episode. You can grab a free download of it by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 300. There's also some extra resources for you. And if you're a like-minded industry professional, I gave you a call out earlier. Uh, If you help homeowners renovate or build their homes. Now, if you want to talk to me about how you could potentially help uh, undercover architect reach more places overseas please uh, reach out to me and if you're just interested in getting in front of more undercover architect community members um, I am building an army okay I'm calling it the UA army you can find out more by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army we are currently building it out it is super exciting make sure that if you're a professional supplier uh, any you know and if you're a homeowner and you're hearing this and you know that you're working with somebody who you feel is like-minded with undercover architect and what we teach please put this in front of them it's free to join and i'm really excited about what we're going to be doing in 2024 with this incredible group of people now of course if you're a homeowner and you'd like more structured help and guidance you want to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you love living in then my online program home method is definitely the place for you we have an incredible community of amazing and super informed homeowners that are also building and renovating sharing their journeys and uh, are incredibly they're just it's just honestly it's such a great place um, and such a great group of members and of course it's the only place that you can access my personalized support and guidance in your project as well so you can find out more about home method by heading to homemethod.com.au and also to the undercover architect website home method is in the menu there as always thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally until next time bye
Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.